is we've been on a series of, uh, of looking at some, some sermons or looking at some, some portions of Scripture where people ask Jesus a question. And I wanted to tie my questions in with Palm Sunday. And the closest I could come to a question was really a demand um, that we're going to look at today. So, but before we get started, I know I've started with riddles. Uh, I didn't have riddles today, but I just have a question today. Uh, I'm going to set the bar high because I'm tired. I'm going to set the bar real high. So today, my goal is that as a church, that we're willing to be one of these. I mean, seriously, who can't be a, a rock or a stone? I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm really going out on a limb today when I preach. That I'm just going to ask that if we can accomplish anything in this place, that each one of us would try to be... Uh, one of these, a rock. And I mean, you say, what is a rock? I mean, what's it got to do? How complicated is it to be a rock? I mean, I'm not saying let's be birds, let's be trees, let's make fruit. I mean, I'm seriously, the bar that we're setting today is, is rocks. And I hope that everyone feels pretty good about their ability to be a rock. Because what does a rock have to do? Sit there and do nothing, right? I mean, seriously, like setting the bar way up here so we can come in somewhere right about here. We're going to look at what uh, this narrative in Scripture that we have uh, about um, Palm Sunday, the, the Sunday where Jesus, or, or with Palm Sunday, the, the day we celebrate, uh, where Jesus rode into uh, town on a donkey is, is kind of what we're, we're reminded of this morning. And as we read these verses, like I said, I, I want to look at not necessarily a question, but a demand and see what Jesus' response to that is um, as we process through this. So we're going to be in, uh, before we get there, I'm going to pray um, because this is a day that was talked about. So, Father, uh, we thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you for the peace of God that transcends understanding. Thank you that you're a God who provides and is able. And God, I pray for our word today as we look at this passage, as we look at this day. And that you stir in our hearts the desire to be stones. That you help us to hear from you. That you help us to receive from you, God. We yield ourselves. I yield the words. I yield the paper. I yield all that I've written, all that I've prepared to you, asking that your perfect would be accomplished in each and every one of us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we turn to the passage that I want to read, I, I wanted to preface it because... The day uh, of the triumphant entry is what it probably is labeled in your, in your scripture was a day that was talked about. It was a day that they were prepared for. It was a day that, that they were warned to come. Zechariah chapter 9. It says in Zechariah, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. In the battle, a bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Uh, this was a day that, that wasn't a surprise necessarily to the disciples of Jesus or to the followers of Jesus Christ. It was a day they'd, been, they'd heard was coming, that their king is what this, this prophecy, this word was about. Their king was going to come to town. And when he came to town, he was going to be riding on a donkey and his, or, or the foal of a donkey. And as he did that, 
he was going to defeat all these earthly kingdoms. So it was a day in their hearts they were excited about. It was a day in their spirits that they'd been prepared for because uh, this was the day that the king was going to be announced. So if we look at Luke chapter 19, this is the story that I, I, I want to spend some time in this morning. Luke chapter 19, and it's going to be familiar. Um, Walt read it in John this morning, a little piece of this, of this story. Luke chapter 19 and verse 28. It says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage in Bethany on the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, Its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Uh, I have that in the, in the message Bible up there. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd said, Teacher, get your disciples under control. And verse 40 says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Such a interesting uh, so many facets in this in this portion of scripture uh, the fulfillment of the prophecy that that I think are intriguing for us to look at the story Jesus he looked at his disciples and he said hey can you go get this colt we see disciples the pharisees called them out of control i just call them radical they were just radical in this season When there was something going on inside of them, there was something about their actions, there was something about what they did, it was just radical. They weren't necessarily out of control, they they didn't need to be rebuked, Uh, they were just radical. I mean, Jesus, the first thing we saw from them when he said, get your disciples under control, uh, was radical obedience. I mean, how many of us, if someone looks at us and says, hey, go to town, you're going to find a colt, just go ahead and bring it. If the owners say something, you just tell them the master wants it, they'll be cool. Probably going to ask some questions. What if he's carrying and I'm, te- I'm stealing his colt? I mean, you know, what if he doesn't like me taking his, his colt? Uh, what, what if he says no? What if he chases us? What if he has us arrested? The disciples in this moment, they were out of control, maybe as we think rationally, because they showed radical obedience to Jesus Christ. And they went to town and they got the full. So what happens next? I called it radical submission. They go and they get the, the foal and then they throw their cloaks on the back of the donkey. I'm probably more city than country. We'll just say that. 
And, and I've got to be honest, I don't really like the way animals smell sometimes. So the last thing I probably want is my coat on the donkey. Cloaks, again, in that time, if you recall some of the history, Tara was talking about uh, the culture of the time. The cloak often was um, your license. It was your status in the community. Beggars had a cloak that they wore that was basically their license to beg. And so the disciples, this outer layer of what they're wearing, it's kind of their identity. And so when, when Jesus is, is preparing to ride into Jerusalem, we see that they begin to take who they are. They, 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 they disrobe, they, they take their outer cloak off and they throw it on the donkey, basically saying, it does, my identity doesn't matter in the kingdom that's coming. I mean, not only did they lay it on the donkey, that's one thing, but they laid it under the donkey. Now, if you don't like what a donkey smells like on top, I bet you don't like what a donkey smells like below. Got it? And they're saying, I call it radical submission. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who I am. It doesn't matter how valuable I feel. It doesn't matter how everybody else perceives me. It's, it's not that big of a deal how, how the culture or whatever license my cloak might bring. I'm laying it down, whether it's on or below the animal, as it carries the King of Kings and Lord of Lords because there's something different. And I'm declaring He is the King. Radical Obedience, go and do something absolutely insane. Radical submission, laying down your cloak, uh, laying down your identity to radical praise. Suddenly, they shouted at the top of their lungs. They began to cry out, blessed is the king. They declared there was a king coming. I don't think that was viewed really good in their culture. They were under a king. So how do you think a king responds when he hears you calling someone else king? I'm guessing that's punishable by death. I'm guessing that can get you in lots of trouble, cause you lots of problems. Radical obedience, radical praise all of a sudden was declaring the king has come. The king is coming. The king is here. It doesn't matter what this might mean. It doesn't matter what people might say because the king has come. And I can't do anything but cry out. Walt read it in John. I have it in here. John twelve thirteen. They took palm branches. They went out to meeting and they shouted, Hosanna. Now that sounds like a good church word. I mean, we see the kids and they say that or we sing it in a song sometime. What does Hosanna mean? means save us. They're shouting for a king to save them. What's he saving them from? The kingdom that they're in. Talk about radical praise. The king is coming. He's riding on a foal. We're going to lay down our cloaks. We're going to wave palm branches. And we're going to sing, save us. Save us. We're going to scream, save us. 
crying out for, for, for the king that is coming to save them from the kingdom that they're in. It's, it's, it's radical who they are. And the Pharisees, they're witnessing this encounter. They're witnessing this moment. And in this moment, they make what I, it's a declaration, I guess, but Jesus gives them an answer. So we're going to look at it as a request or a, a question with an answer. The, the Pharisees look at Jesus and they're like, hey, your followers are out of control. They say rebuke is what it says in most translations. Rebuke your disciples. Tell them they're wrong. Tell them they can't say that. Tell them they can't do that. They can't steal. They can't borrow whatever you want to say. They can't put their cloaks down. They can't wave palm branches. They can't call you king. They can't declare save us. None of this stuff is right. There's something wrong with these guys. Rebuke them. And what does Jesus say? His response to the rebuke, is what I want to look at. His response to the request. I mean, this is a radical time. And the disciples are doing something really remarkable. And the Pharisees, we know the Pharisees. My my kids, we read, because of Pastor Terry, we got to read the Bible every night. And we got this Bible app. And so Graham and I read the Bible app together. That's what he likes to read. Levi's got his Bible we read after that. But in his Bible app, we call the Pharisees the grumble grumbles. Because every screen that they're on, you can touch them and it's interactive. And so we touch on the grumble grumbles because they'll go grumble, 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 grumble. The Pharisees, the grumble grumbles are sitting there in the crowd in the midst of what is absolutely a remarkable moment in time. They're experiencing the declaration of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords coming to Jerusalem. They're experiencing what is a, uh, a prophecy being fulfilled, a word of God that they've studied being fulfilled before their very eyes. But because of their grumble grumbles, all they can say is, Jesus, rebuke these guys. And Jesus looks at him and he says something profound. Imagine that. Jesus says something profound. He looks at them and he says, If they stop, the stones will cry out. If they stop, now and and picture this in your mind. I just picture as as he's coming down the road, there's walls to Jerusalem, there's all this stuff. I mean, there's lots of stones around them. There's stones that the temple was built with. I, I just imagine Jesus is pointing to all that is and he says, If they're quiet, the stones will cry out. But was he talking about something miraculous? I mean, remember a couple weeks ago when we shared, we talked about uh, Jesus was with the disciples and he spoke to the wind of the waves and the disciples were perplexed because even the wind and waves obeyed him. Remember in Scripture, he says that if we pray and we have faith, that we can say to this mountain, be moved, and it'll be moved. We can say this mountain, be cast into the sea, it'll be cast. Is he talking about something just totally miraculous? We're like, I've got a picture in VeggieTales mode now that rocks get mouths and they start to, to sing hallelujah. What's he saying? I mean, in Scripture, we see there is the potential of the miraculous. Isaiah 55 says, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. 
The mountains and hills will burst into song before you. The trees of the field will clap their hands. Romans says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. I mean, Scripture is clear. Yeah, the rocks could cry out. I mean, we got it. I got it. I'm not saying he's not talking about the absolute miraculous. But as I read these verses and I read this question, the stones will cry out. Started to stir in my heart. The stones will, I mean, I said this morning, who wants to be a stone? Really, what good is a rock? What, what's the challenge in being a rock? And, and Jesus is saying that the stones will cry out. And I started to think about stones. In the Old Testament, stones were pretty remarkable. You can remember in the Old Testament what would happen with stones a lot of times. What were stones used for in the Old Testament? This would be the context that the Pharisees, the grumble grumbles, would have understood. This would be the context that they would have in their mind when it comes to something like a stone. Because in Scripture we see stones always cry out for what God has done. The habit that we see in the Old Testament several times. God does something. The man of God the woman of God who God does something with, they take stones and they stack them on top of each other. So whenever people come and see those stones, what is it doing? It's always declaring what God did. When they crossed the Red Sea, what did God instruct? He instructed the men to go get stones from the river and they brought them out and they stacked them up and they laid them there so that for generations to come, the stones would declare what God had done. Joshua set up stones. Jacob set up stones. Moses, the Israelites, constantly in the Old Testament, they were setting up stones that would always declare. We do the same thing. You ever been to Mount Rushmore and watch the videos? I remember, I think it's, uh, oh, who's the guy? Dan Rather, who's the guy that does the narration uh, in the video. If you go to the museum in, the, in, 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 in the Mount Rushmore, and he says that, that, that they built this. And maybe it was Teddy or whoever the president. Well, I don't know, I'm going to get all screwed up because I haven't watched it. But, but they declare that these stones will exist for generations to come. So people will always remember the greatness of the United States of America or something. Because all of a sudden, once a stone becomes set apart for a purpose, it's always reminding. What do we use stones for? I mean, don't we erect stones where, where good things have happened to us? Watching a show, they have a stone erected where Jefferson Davis was, was captured. They have this giant pillar where he was captured. In the Civil War, we have stones. If you go out to the fort, there's a stone in the ground where it talks about Crazy Horse was, was killed. 
If you, if you go to the Capitol, they got this giant monument, uh, the Lincoln Memorial. I mean, all these things, the stones are always crying out that when we look at them, when we die, what do we often do? We put a stone in the ground with a word and some numbers, and it's always crying out what? A purpose. That's the concept, that's the understanding. And Jesus is saying, hey, even if these guys keep their mouths shut, even if these, these people, they don't talk right now, the stones will cry out because that's who they are. That's what they've been assembled to do. They're always going to declare that God moved here. Whenever people see the stones that were stacked by the Red Sea, it always cried out for all the Israelites to understand that God delivered His people here. What kind of stone are you? What are you declaring? First Peter, chapter uh, two, verses four through nine. It's back there. Mine got messed up up here. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God, precious to him, you also like living stones. The stones will cry out. You're a living stone who will cry out. You're like living stones are being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices except to God through Jesus Christ. For Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who not to believe the stone the builders rejected has become a cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobeyed the message, which is also what they were destined for. But verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who brought you out of darkness into His wonderful light. God has called us to be something as simple as stones. He says that there is a living stone, that is Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone. He's the one at which we're all being built upon, but we're living stones being built up together. Why? Why are we living stones being built together? What does verse 9 tell us? We are living stones being built together for what purpose? To cry out. We're built together to, to declare the praises of Him who brought us out of, wonderful, out of darkness into wonderful light. We are called to be stones. I love this. It says that, that you're a chosen people. Why do I cry out? Why do the stones cry out? Because God chose us. He picked you. God chose you. He inscribed on you the love. He, he, he worked in you the love of God. He chose you. 
the rocks that cried out in the Old Testament were chosen by the Israelites or Jacob or Joseph or Joshua or whoever picked them up. They were chosen. God chose you as a living stone. Not only did he choose you, but he's called you a royal priesthood. I love that. He chose you, but you're the king's. You belong to the king. You are the royal priesthood. What do the priests get to do? They approach God. Remember? The priests could approach the, the, the king of kings and lord. They could go into the holy. You are a, a, a royal priesthood. You are the king's priesthood. You are the king's chosen to, to declare all that God has done, to share his goodness to the people, to bring the, the promise of, uh, of the covenant to the people. You're chosen. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You've been set apart. That's what holy means. As he assembles his temple, as he assembles this, this wonderful creation that we're talking about upon the living stone, as all the living stones come together, we are a holy nation. We are a set-apart people. We are ones who bring light to darkness. We're different than this world. The scripture says we're aliens in this world. We're, we're, we're set-apart people. You're chosen. You're royal. You're holy. You're God's Special possession. I right, we can read over that line pretty quick and, and not think too much about that. Think about that for a moment. You, the Scriptures say, are God's special possession. Levi's got a bear. It's his special possession. Grandma sent it to him, and I'm telling you, he won't go to sleep Without it. Pam has a bag. She hates stuffed animals. So if you ever want to get my kids something, get them stuffed animals. I forgot she was back at the sound booth. That'll bite me later. Pay attention to your surroundings before you declare anything. Anyway. There's a bag. I'm not kidding. It's this big in the kids' room. I'm not joking. This big. Full of stuffed animals. Well, Levi's got one that's a special possession. You know where that animal is every night when he goes to sleep? It's in his arm. You are God's special possession. He chose you. He sets you apart. He's called you his own. Why? That we might declare who he is. That we might declare what he's done. And scripture says that if we don't cry out, the rocks, the stones will cry out. This morning, the question I have as we look at Palm Sunday, the question that, 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 that the Pharisees may have posed, can you keep these people under control? We're good at being under control. We're good at being dignified. We're good at, at, at causing ourselves to, to, to function the way we're supposed to function. But God's done something in your life. God has called you. He has chosen you. He's poured out His love upon you. He, he sent His Son to die for you. He, he gave you the gift of eternal life. He brought forgiveness for you, sin. He set you free from that which held you bound. But we are so dignified. They were radical. 
would the Pharisees be asking about us? Can you keep them under control? You see, I just want to be a stone. I, I, I just want my life to cry out for what God has done. I just want me being me, not doing anything else, not putting any face on, not putting any front on, but just because of what I've been set apart to do. Me, myself, I just cry out. Every time someone looks at me, they see that God has done something. When they look at me, it's not about all this other stuff. It's about that I've been set apart by by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords because He chose me and I'm His special possession. I'm just declaring all that He's done. And just like these stones... At some point, I may have to open my mouth, but they just cry out. They just cry out. They just declare the praises of God because they've been set apart for that very purpose. This morning, what kind of stone are you? What is your life crying out to those who are around you? You guys can come up. You know, I started this sermon and I might have baited you because I thought that the, the stone was maybe seemed like a simple analogy. That was an easy thing to do. But I want to ask you the same question. Can you be a stone? I mean, it doesn't matter if it's raining. That memorial still crying out. The same thing. It doesn't matter if it's snowing that memorial, it's still crying out the same thing. It doesn't matter what, what, what circumstances is going on because that stone, it's always crying out for what it was set out to do.